developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Thanks for listening tonight. My name, of course, is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call para-reality. Well, tonight is the third and final episode in my summer series on Mysterious Sounds. On episode number one, I took you on an investigation of the global hum as together we tried to determine what it was, what was causing it, and how to stop it. In episode two, we investigated Havana syndrome. While by definition not a sound, it does appear to involve microwaves and possibly infrasound, which kind of sort of technically counts in my book. So tonight, we end the series with part three about the mysterious transmissions emanating from a radio station known only as UVB-76. From deep inside Russia, a transmission has been detected. It's a monotonous, two-tone buzzing. The exact location and purpose of this transmission is unknown, and this mysterious transmission has been broadcasting the same repeating signal since 1976. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of UVB-76. But to learn more, of course, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. However, before we get to that, it is my favorite part of the podcast. Fan mail. 
This comes from an anonymous source and a little bit of an involved uh, email, so I'm paraphrasing it here. It says, Sandman, is it possible that a loved one who is no more in this lovely universe can come to our dream and tell us something that we need to know? After this incident, I felt really dizzy the whole day. It felt so very real. Well, thank you, anonymous person, for sending that in. And to answer your question, yes, it is completely possible. And, in fact, it happens all the time. There are numbers of documented cases where the living have been contacted in their dreams by deceased loved ones. It's called visitation dreams, and it's one of the five most common signs that our deceased loved ones show us that they're still around. And this has, in fact, happened to me. I was once visited in a dream by my dad several months after he died, but that's a story for another time. So, anonymous person, thank you for that email. And yes, it is possible to experience com- communication from the loved ones. If, if loved ones doesn't just have to be family. It's friends, you know, someone who you are very close to in life, whether it's family or not. Usually those dreams are very vivid. They feel very real. And it is very common. It's like I said, one of the five most common ways that our deceased loved ones show us that they're still around. And it's called visitation dreams. So thank you, anonymous person, for emailing that question in. I hope I answered it to your satisfaction. Well, now that I've answered that, Take a listen to this. Era Reality is a proud member of the Straight Up Strange podcast network. To learn more about all the awesome podcasts that are members of the Straight Up Strange family, go to straightupstrange.com and get strange. Hey, how would you like to be an agent of chaos? What is chaos? It's the Knowledgeable Apprentices of Sandman, and that's what I call my Patreon account members. I'm looking for new agents, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to become one. There are three levels of agents, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content, along with the ability to help create podcast episodes, and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host. To learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing quality content for this podcast. You are listening to the Parareality Podcast, your information source for conspiracy theories, UFOs, the paranormal, and all things unexplained. New episodes drop the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Listen on your favorite podcast station. Turn on, tune in, and find out. If you will.
wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. In the middle of a Russian swampland, not far from the city of St. Petersburg, is a rectangular iron gate. Beyond its rusted bars is a collection of radio towers, abandoned buildings, and power lines bordered by a dry stone wall. This sinister location is the focus of a mystery that stretches back to the height of the Cold War. It's thought to be the headquarters of a radio station, UVB-76. This is a radio station, though, that no one has ever claimed to run. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for the last almost 50 years. It's been broadcasting a dull, monotonous tone. Every few seconds, it's joined by a second sound, like some ghostly ship sounding its foghorn. Then the drone continues. Once or twice a week, a man or a woman will read out some words in Russian, words such as dinghy or farming specialist, or at least the decade leading up to 1992. It broadcast almost nothing but beeps. After that, it switched to buzzes, generally between 21 and 34 buzzes per minute, each lasting roughly a second. A nasally foghorn blaring through a crackly ether. Maybe once every few weeks or so, the monotony was broken by a male voice reciting brief sequences of numbers and words, often strings of Russian names like Anna, Nikolai, Ivan, Titania, Roman. But the balance of the airtime was filled by a steady, almost maddening series of inexplicable tones. And that's it. Anyone anywhere in the world can listen in simply by tuning a shortwave radio to the frequency of 4625 kilohertz. The amplitude and pitch of the buzzing sometimes shifts, and the intervals between tones will fluctuate. At one point, every hour on the hour, the station would buzz twice really quickly. None of the upheavals that had enveloped Russia in the last decade of the Cold War and the first two decades of the post-Cold War era, like Michael, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, Perestroika, the end of the Afghan War, the Soviet implosion, the end of price controls, Boris Yeltsin, the bombing of Parliament, the first and second Chechnyan War, the oligarchs, the financial crisis, the rise of Putinism, nothing had ever kept UVB-76, as the station's call signs goes. Nothing kept it from its inscrutable purpose. It's so enigmatic. It's like it was designed just specifically for conspiracy theorists. Today, the station has an online following numbering in the tens of thousands. And these people, these followers of the station, they know it, they call it affectionately the buzzer. 
But unfortunately, they have no idea what it is that they're listening to. In fact, no one knows. There's absolutely no information in the signal. Then on my birthday, strangely enough, June 5th, 2010, the buzzing ceased. No announcements, no explanations, just silence. The next day, the broadcast resumed again, just like nothing had ever happened. And for the rest of that month and the month of July, UVB 76 behaved more or less just like it always had. There were some short-lived disturbances, including bits of what sounded like Morse code, but nothing really dramatic. And in mid-August, the buzzing stopped again. Then it resumed. Then it stopped again. Then it started again. And suddenly, on August 25th, at 10.13 a.m. local time, UVB-76 went entirely haywire. First, there was silence. Then a series of knocks and shuffles that made it sound like someone was in the room. You see, before this day, all the beeping and buzzing and codes and numbers, well, they'd hinted that, I don't know, maybe there's an evil force hovering in the airways of this mysterious station. But now... It seemed as though the wizard were suddenly about to reveal himself. For the first week of September, transmission was interrupted frequently, usually with what sounded like recorded snippets of Dance of the Little Swans from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Then on the evening of September 7th, something more dramatic, and one listener even called it existential, happened. p.m. Moscow time, a male voice issued a new call sign, Mikhail Dmitry Zinya Boris, indicating that the station was now going to be called MDZHB. This was followed by one of UV-76's typically nebulous messages, which stated the following, 04979. D-R-E-N-D-O-U-T, followed by a longer series of numbers, then the letters T-R-E-N-E-R-S-K-I-Y, and then more numbers. No one knows what this means. I've run it through Google search, trying to figure out if these were Russian words, if they were some other Russian word, something code or whatever. If it's a code, I, I don't. no one has claimed to know what it is. I can't find out. There's no translation for this. Apparently it's not words, but it's got to be code for something. So just what in the hell is going on? Discover new opportunities together in a new Chevy. Meet up in an Equinox, winner of the J.D. Power Award for initial quality among compact SUVs. Lend a hand in the strong and capable Silverado, or mix it up in a high-tech Trax with an available 11-inch diagonal touchscreen. Find family, friends, and fun in the Chevy that's right for you. Click to learn more. Chevrolet, together let's drive. 
For J.D. Power 2023 U.S. Initial Quality Study Award information, visit jdpower.com awards. The frequencies thought to belong to the Russian military, though they've never actually admitted to this. It first began broadcasting at the end of the Cold War when communism was on the decline, and today is transmitted what we think are from two different locations, a St. Petersburg site and a location near Moscow somewhere. But kind of weirdly, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, rather than this radio station shutting down, the activity actually sharply increased. And I have an audio clip here of this radio station. And I think now is a good time for me to play this so you can hear exactly what UVB 76 sounds like. Take a listen. So it sounded to me like there was a lot of names dropped in the first part of that. And then, I don't know, maybe some instructions that were given? I don't know. I, I don't speak Russian, and I can't make out enough of what is being said to even begin to try to translate that. So uh, I don't know how well this is actually going to translate into when you the listener are listening to this so you might have to turn up your speakers a little bit and replay that part I don't know but if you know Russian and you think you can translate that send me an email sandman at parareality.com and let me know what you think they're saying so there's no shortage of theories to explain what this buzzer might be for ranging from keeping in touch with submarines, to commuting with, communicating with aliens. One popular idea is that it's acting as a dead hand signal. And what I mean by that is that uh, in the event that Russia 
is hit by a nuclear attack, the, the drone or the buzzing will stop and automatically trigger a retaliation. No questions asked, just total nuclear destruction going to happen on, on both sides, right? Now, this may not be as crazy as it sounds, though. The system was originally pioneered in the Soviet area era where it took the form of a computer system which scanned the airways for signs of life or nuclear fallout. Alarmingly, many experts believe it may still be in use to this very day. As Russian President Vladimir Putin pointed out himself earlier this year, and I quote, nobody would survive a nuclear war between Russia and the United States. So could this buzzer be warding a nuclear war off? As it happens, there are clues within the signal itself. Like all international radio, the buzzer operates at a relatively low frequency known as shortwave. This means that compared to local radio, mobile phone, and TV signals, fewer waves pass through a signal point every second. It also means that these waves can travel a lot further. So while you'd be hard-pressed to listen to a local station like you know, BBC Radio London and here in the United States, shortwave stations like the BBC World Service are aimed at audiences in many different countries from Senegal to Singapore. Both stations are broadcast from the same building, though. And it's all thanks to skywaves, higher frequency radio signals that can only travel in a straight line. And these sky waves eventually become lost as they bump into obstacles or reach the horizon. But short wave frequencies have an extra trick to them. They can bounce off charged particles in the upper atmosphere, which allows them to kind of zigzag between the earth and the sky and travel thousands of miles rather than just a few miles. Which brings me all the way back to the dead hand theory. As you might expect, shortwave signals have proved extremely popular. For example, today they're used by ships and aircraft and the military to send messages across continents, oceans, and mountain ranges. But there's a catch. This lofty layer isn't so much a flat mirror, but a wave which undulates like the surface of the ocean. During the day, it moves a little higher, while at night it creeps down towards the ground, towards the earth. So if you want to absolutely guarantee that your station can be heard on the other side of the, of the world, and if you're using it as a cue for nuclear war, It's important to change the frequency depending on the time of day. So the BBC World Service already does this. But the buzzer doesn't. It just stays the same. And another idea is that the radio station exists to sound out how far away the layer of charged particles are. To get good results from the radar systems the Russian used to spot missiles, 
you need to know this. And the longer the signal takes to get up into the sky and then back down, the higher it must be. But I don't really think that's the answer either. To analyze the layer's altitude, the signal would usually have a certain sound, like a car alarm going off. This is the result of varying waves to get them just right. And they don't sound anything like the buzzer. And interestingly enough, there is a station that has some really striking similarities to UVB-76. It's called the Lincolnshire Poacher, and it ran from the mid-1970s all the way up to 2008, so pretty recent. Just like the buzzer, it could be heard on the other side of the planet. And also just like the buzzer, it emanated from an undisclosed location thought to be somewhere in Cyprus. And just like the buzzer, its transmissions were just plain creepy. At the beginning of every hour, the station would play the first two bars of an English folk tune called the Lincolnshire Poacher, which is where it gets its name from. So this is what it would play. Oh, tis my delight on a shining night in the season of the year when I was bound apprentice in famous Lincolnshire. T'was well I served my master for nigh on seven years. Now, after repeating that 12 times, it would move on to messages read by some disembodied voice of a woman reading groups of five numbers, like one, two, zero, three, six. And this was like in a, in, in a very proper, I guess, English accent. Now, to get to grips with what was going on, we need to go back all the way back in our time machine to the 1920s. The All-Russian Cooperative Society, ACROS, or ARCOS, excuse me, which is an acronym, um, the All-Russian Cooperative Society, ARCOS. Now, it was important to trade body. It was, it was, uh, our, this was a trade organization responsible for overseeing transactions between the UK and the early Soviet Union, or at least that's what they said. In May of 1927, years after a British secret agent caught an employee sneaking into a communist news office in London, police officers raided the Arcos building. and The basement had been rigged with an anti-intruder device and they found a secret room in this basement. It had no door handle. And behind this door in this secret room, workers were in there, and they were in the middle of destroying all kinds of documents. Now, this sounds a little dramatic, like something out of a James Bond movie or something like that, but the British didn't really discover anything that they didn't already know when they raided this place. Instead, the raid was kind of like a wake-up call to the Soviets who discovered that uh, the British Secret Service had been listening in on them for a number of years. In order to justify the raid, the prime minister had even read out some of the deciphered telegrams in the House of Commons. Now, the upshot to this was that the Russians completely reinvented 
the way messages are encrypted. Pretty much overnight, they switch to one-time pads is what they call it. So in this system, a random key is generated by the person sending the message, and it's shared only with the person receiving the message. As long as the key really is perfectly random, the code can't be cracked. So there wasn't a need any longer to worry about who could hear the messages. Now this brings us to the numbers stations. These are radio stations that broadcast coded messages to spies all over the world. Soon, even the British were doing it. So if you can't beat them, join them, right? So it's, it's difficult to generate a completely random number because a system for doing so will, by its very nature, be predictable. Exactly the thing that you're trying to avoid. So instead, officers in London found an ingenious solution. They'd hang a microphone out of the window on Oxford Street and record the traffic that was going by. There might be something like a bus that's horn blaring at the same time that, you know, a policeman is shouting, and this sound is unique, and it probably won't ever happen again, and then they'd convert this into a random code. Of course, that didn't stop people from trying to break these codes. During World War II, the British realized that they could, in fact, decipher the messages, but they'd have to get their hands on the one-time pad that was used to encrypt those. And they discovered that the Russians used the out-of-date sheets of one-time pads as, get this, substitute toilet paper in Russian army hospitals in East Germany. Yes, that's right. They used these top-secret <laughs> codes written on a piece of paper as, as ass paper. And needless to say, British intelligence officers soon found themselves going through the contents of Soviet latrines. That's just, oh, talk about a shitty job, right? So now you get North Korea getting in on the act, too. On April the 14th, 2017, the broadcaster at uh, Radio Pyongyang said, I'm giving review works in elementary information technology lessons of the remote education university for 27 expedition agents. So this was uh, a pretty ill-concealed military message, and it was followed by a series of page numbers. Number 69 on page 823, page 957, which, I mean, these numbers look a lot like code, right? It also fits in with a series of arrests across the United States back in 2010, the FBI announced that it had broken up a long-term deep cover network of Russian agents who were said to have received their instructions via coded messages on shortwave radio, specifically 7887 kilohertz. Now, it may come as a surprise that number stations are still in use, but they hold one major advantage though it's possible to guess who's broadcasting, anyone can listen to the messages, so you don't know who they are being sent to. Mobile phones and the Internet may be quicker, but open a text or an email from a known intelligence agency and you could be hacked, right? So 
here's a compelling idea. The buzzer on UVB-76 has been hiding in plain sight, instructing a network of illicit Russian spies all over the world. There's just one problem with this theory. The buzzer never broadcast any numbered messages. Now, this doesn't strictly matter, since one-time pads can be used to translate anything from code words to garbled speech. If a phone call was encrypted, you'd hear some garbled speech, but then it would come out on the other side sounding like normal speech. But this would leave traces in the signal. To send information over the radio, essentially all you're doing is varying the height or spacing of the waves being transmitted. Here's an example. Two low waves in a row means X, or three waves closer together means Y. When a signal is carrying information instead of neat, evenly spaced waves like ripples on the ocean, you're left with a wave like the jagged silhouette of an EKG tracing. But this isn't the buzzer. Instead, a lot of people believe that UVB-76 is a hybrid of the two things. The constant drone is just a marker making a statement that this frequency is mine. This belongs to me. And the reason it's doing that is to stop people from using it because it's constantly broadcasting something over it, through, via that channel. So it's essentially a placeholder for that channel. It only becomes a number station in the moments of crisis, like if Russia were, I don't know, being invaded. Then it would function as a way to instruct their worldwide spy network and military forces on standby in remote areas. Because after all, this is a country around 70 times the size of the UK, right? So the UK is a very small island country, island nation, right? And Russia is huge antic. And there's a possibility that this is really what is going on because maybe they kind of already been practicing this thing. So back in 2013, they issued a special message. And it was Command 135 issued. Now that's said to be a test message for full combat readiness. And that's according to I'm going to uh, slaughter this name. I'm so sorry. Maris Goldmanis, who is a radio enthusiast who listens to UVB-76 from his home in the Baltic states. But nevertheless, the prevalent theory is that UVB-76 is a number station used to communicate encrypted messages to spies and other agents. Typically, these stations transmit numbers in groups of five, making it impossible to detect partitions between words and sentences. The numbers can be decoded using a key in the possession of the intended listener. Number stations are thought to have existed since World War I, as documented by the Conant Project, a compilation of recordings that was first released back in 1997. 
drug runners are believed to have used the number stations on occasion. So too are the North Koreans, us Americans too, the Cubans, and the Brits. So, shortwave hobbyists suspect that the British Secret Service was behind the most famous number station on the planet, that much-revered Lincolnshire poacher. An online group calling itself Enigma 2000. Now, Enigma is an acronym for the uh, European Numbers Information Gathering and Monitoring Association, Enigma 2000. This group collects data about number stations from around the world. Joaquin, excuse me, Joshin Schaefer, and I know I'm totally slaughtering that. I'm so sorry, Mr. Schaefer. Joshin Schaefer, who heads the group's German branch, says that UVB 76 is no typical numbers station. But regardless, it is one. He says that usually number stations begin their transmission with a call sign, then move on to a specially produced introduction. The Lincolnshire poacher, for example, got his moniker because every broadcast kicked off with the first two bars of that English folk song with the same name before they you know, start broadcasting numbers. Now, this station, UBB76, is different because of its structure. Most of the time, there's just the buzzing tone, and the messages that come through come at just random times, it seems like. But this anomalous format has prompted some UVB76 listeners to suggest that it's not a number station at all. One former high-ranking European official and longtime student of Soviet jamming of Western radio stations, known to his fellow UBB76 fans as JM, maintains that the buzzer's purpose is to transmit coded orders to military units within Russia, not to spies outside of its borders. JM notes that most of what has been pieced together about the station's specs, its frequency of 4625 kilohertz, the main 20 kilowatt transmitter that it has, its 5 kilowatt backup transmitter, and its horizontal dipole antenna points to conventional military use. Now, I don't know about 20 watt kilo. 20-kilowatt transmitters and backup transmitters and dipole antennas and all that all that stuff. I'm just reading to you what this guy is saying. Uh, if it makes sense to you, uh, you know more about uh, shortwave radio than I do because I have no idea about shortwave radio. Uh, there's a 20-year-old production engineer in Jacksonville, Florida by the name of Brian Tabaris, and he agrees with J.M., and his theory is a little bit more bland, though, um, especially when it comes to explaining the disruptions for 2010. So Tabaris believes that it was just a, a, a something called pink noise, uh, something manufactured by sound engineers to calibrate audio equipment, and that's all. He says that everything that's happened points to an equipment upgrade or a calibration, which is... That makes sense to me. Now, a new intrigue about UVB-76 or MDZHB, whichever you prefer to call it. I prefer UVB-76. It seems to be a little bit easier to say. Anyway, 
a new intrigue about UVB-76 is the question of its location. Now, soon after the upheavals of August and September in 2010, with all the stopping and starting and knocking and whispering, shortwave radio listeners reported another remarkable shift. The station's position seemed to have moved altogether. The aforementioned JM has since helped trace its rough location to somewhere near the town of Piskov, close to Russia's border with Estonia. But no one's been able to triangulate exactly where the broadcast is coming from. One theory is that the move was related to a Russian military reorganization that took place in September when the Moscow and Leningrad military districts were merged to form a new command center in St. Petersburg. And that would explain why UVB-76 might have migrated with hundreds of miles northwest. For the foreseeable future, though, the site of the transmitter has been added to the long list of its enduring mysteries. The move gave a few brave investigators an opportunity, though, to look around the station. One Russian explorer found a military logbook in the old UVB-76 station that appeared to confirm the station had been broadcasting messages from the Russian state, while others captured some fairly creepy images of a dilapidated and run-down military base that looks like it could have been abandoned sometime way back in the Cold War era. After going deep into the base, these explorers, unfortunately, were forced to turn back. And at some point, they did a Reddit AMA, Ask Me Anything, and this is what they wrote in their Reddit AMA. We sort of went underground under one of the buildings. As we descended into the basement of one of the buildings and ventured to a door that led outside of the area of the building, when we opened it, we were hit with a very vile chemical smell. It smelled very acidic, I guess. Not prepared to die of poisoning, we turned back. In the room that was underground, the building itself, there was not much of interest. A few desks and filing cabinets filled with more useless papers, a few broken electronics, and a bunch of other general crap. General crap. So this place was pretty much abandoned, but it may still be watched. During their tour or their exploration of the station, they were interrupted by a woman that they described as being in her mid-40s. Now these urban explorers said that at first they thought she was a resident of the town that was just out for a walk. But as she walked past them, they saw that her stroller that she had with them was empty. Which begs the question, who goes to an abandoned military base with an empty stroller? Now, she could be crazy. That's always on the table, okay? But it does make you wonder, was she crazy or was she just keeping an eye on these urban explorers? Today, the mini military city in Provorovo, from which the uh, cipher broadcast for so many decades, is nearly abandoned. 
The surrounding village is a gray-brown tapestry of communist apartment buildings, recently built dakas and bushbukas, hawking honey and cucumbers trying to make a living. Around the city, there are gates and walls and signs that say military vehicles only. But you don't see any guards or electrified fences, and the gates are unlocked. The only activity is near the housing blocks filled with the wives and children and grandchildren of Soviet veterans, both living and dead. One resident, Natalia, said that this place was like a paradise. And when she was asked about the looming wrought iron fence, roughly 100 feet from the entrance to her apartment building, she says that she never strays through its gates. On the other side is the radio tower. And no one, according to Natalia, ever goes there. The one-lane road that leads to the tower stretches about a quarter mile past a handful of empty buildings in a thick pine forest. A chain-link fence supported by stone posts capped with moss surrounds the tower. Between 100 and 150 feet tall, it's red and white and rusting with three or four satellite dishes attached to it. Next to the tower are a blue shed, a green metal hut stuffed with wires and electrical equipment and an ancient stone structure that's so overgrown with moss it just looks like a living tapestry of moss. And there appears to be a large underground facility. The muddy pitch on which the tower stands is riddled with metal cylinders, presumably ventilation shafts, and they're rising out of the ground. And there's a very small pink building that looks like the entrance to a descending staircase. And there's also a door that's partially ajar on the side of the stone structure. If you ever open it and peer inside, you'll see a black hole where there must have been a ladder several decades ago. And if you drop a rock down this hole, it will take about a second to reach the bottom. So whatever's down there is at least 32 feet below the ground. Just beyond the chain link fence and the radio tower is another building, which is one story, and it's also pink. There's a large antenna outside and a tree and a barking dog that's tied on a cable that's strung from the tree to the building. The setup is such that if you were to approach the front door, you would come within striking distance of the dog, which barks endlessly and ferociously like he's been, I don't know, beaten, tortured, trained. The front door to this building appears to be locked, There's no light on inside. No one comes in or out. But someone's been there. So how do we know this? Well, despite the fact that no one's been seen, what makes you think that someone's there? Well, someone has to feed the dog, don't they? So in conclusion, we probably won't ever know what UVB 76 or the buzzer's true purpose actually is. For now, all we can do is listen and speculate. 
And I have a feeling that speculation is a whole lot more fun than what its true purpose actually is. But I think that it's very mundane. I think that the Russian military is using UVB-76 just to keep that channel open for them just in case the shit ever hits the fan and they need to communicate with their troops or their spies, their network, just in case something bad ever happens, like a war, like maybe they're invaded. Maybe there's a coup, an insurrection. That would never happen in the United States, right, an insurrection. But, yeah, I think it's just as mundane as that. I think that they're just using that to claim this frequency. This is our channel. This is us. Don't take this channel. And I think it's just as simple as that. Well, that about does it for tonight. Thanks for listening. Before I close it out, I do want you to listen to one more thing. You do not need scare me. Does the feeling of your threat tightening fear leaving me unable to scream exciting? If the answer to these questions is yes, then you should listen to Scared to Death, stories of suspense, science fiction, and horror. Scared to Death airs the third Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Tune in for the fright of your life. things are going in the world? Have you always wanted to save whatever was on your mind without having to listen to someone bitch about it or suffer any repercussions? Well, me too. That's why I created the Set It Off podcast. I'm sick and tired of the stupidity that's going on around here, and I'm going to let everybody know how I feel about it. So hop on board this train and fasten your seatbelt because I'm about to set it off. Set It Off can be heard on your favorite podcast station. New episodes drop on the fourth Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You never know what I'm going to say next. I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. If you want to leave a comment about this or anything else about the podcast, let me tell you how you can get in touch with me here because there are a few ways that you can do it, and here they are. The best Quickest and easiest way to do it is to send me an email. 
My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. That is the official Facebook page for the podcast. You can post a message on my wall there or send me a DM if you want and slide right into my DMs. And if you've got a Twitter or an Instagram account, you can follow me on both of those. My username for both of those is at Radio. That's at Radio on both Instagram and Twitter. Same thing as Facebook. You can you can you can tweet me or whatever you want to do. Send me a DM, slide into my DMs on Twitter or Instagram. And finally, you can always call the podcast at 615-692-1170 and leave me a message here on the studio line in the secret bunker. Now, I want you to remember this though. If you do decide to call and leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in the message. Now, I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast, so if you have a story that you'd like to get on the show, tell it to me over the voicemail. There's uh, about a three-minute time limit on the voicemail, so if you run out of time, just call me back and pick up where you left off. So those are all the ways you can get in touch with me here on Parareality. And I'll go over them again real quick. First of all, best thing to do is email me, sandman at parareality.com. You can find me on Facebook. The official Facebook page for Parareality is facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Post a message there on my wall or send me a DM, slide right into them. And if you got Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me on both of those same username for both accounts, at Radio. Once again, tweet at me or send me a DM. Just slide right on in there. Or you can always call the studio line, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. But don't forget, if you don't want me to play your stuff back on the podcast, you need to let me know. Now, one thing that you don't ever have to worry about is me playing contact information or giving out last names. I will not do that to you. Don't believe in it. So your privacy is, you know, paramount. So I may play your first name, but I'm never going to do a second name. I'm never going to give out your contact information. And please, please don't forget to visit my website, parareality.com. Man, that's a place where you can keep up on all the latest paranormal news from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news, and that content's updated pretty much on a daily basis. It's on the Paranews section of the website. You can also shop and get you some swag in the Parareality Radio store. You can watch some videos that I've made for the uh, show over the years. Some of them are good. Most of them are terrible, but uh, they're there for your entertainment purposes. And you can also... Listen to past episodes of the podcast in the archives section. I got tons of audio on the website from the various incarnations of Periality throughout the years, along with my companion podcast. Well, I say companion. They're my side project podcast, Set It Off, 
and scared to death. And you can find all of that content for free in the archive section of the website. That's www.parareality.com. So make sure you check it out. Please buy some swag, a, a T-shirt or mouse pad or coaster, a mug, something. Please shop in the uh, Parareality store and buy some merch to show your support of Parareality. And if you do get some merch, whether it's a shirt or a, I said a mug or a coaster or a bag or whatever, take a picture of that with you. And, uh, for, you know, if you're, it's a shirt, take a picture of you wearing it. Take a picture of you enjoying a tasty, delicious beverage out of your mug or glass or something like that or carrying your books in your bag or your groceries in your bag or whatever you happen to get. If you've got it, take a picture of yourself and send it to me so I can use it for uh, uh, advertisement purposes. You know, I, I, I make no money at this podcast, and uh, I'm not trying I would love it, of course, if this was, uh, you know, making me so much money that this could be my sole source of income, but it's never going to be like that, and I understand that. But I do, it does cost me a lot of money to put this podcast on, so everything that I make goes right back into producing quality content for this podcast. So speaking of the podcast, it can be heard on your favorite podcast, podcast station just search for parareality not the parareality podcast but parareality podcast if you have a smart speaker google or amazon or echo whatever you can listen there too if you've got any of those podcast skills on your device just say play parareality podcast and i've also got a youtube channel you can listen to the podcast there too I upload all the audio from this podcast straight up to my YouTube channel. So you can listen to the podcast there too. And it's also full of some great videos like UFO and paranormal documentaries, some documentaries on chemtrails. Um, it's got uh, some of those terrible show videos that I did on my very, very short lived web TV show uh, called Pair Reality. And uh, if you wonder why it was short lived, just watch one video. <laughs> That's all you got to do. It was just me trying to do it all by myself, and it sucked so bad. But like I said, I'll put that up there for your viewing pleasure. So to find the Parareality channel on YouTube, just go to youtube.com slash user slash Parareality1. That's the number one. That's youtube.com slash user slash Parareality1. Well, everyone, the next episode of Parareality will drop on August the 20th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Going to have co-host Eric back in the secret bunker in the co-host chair. So sure you don't want to miss that. Make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, a wonderful weekend, and I'll see everybody again, along with Eric, in a couple of weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. 
Only then will you see the true power of the universe.